You know, when I think about it, sadly enough, I can only come up with two things in this world that I'm pretty good at. You know, I am reasonably decent at, at plenty of things, but in terms of actual skills that, that I, I feel strongly about, two things. And of course, one is programming. And even that, got a long way to go there. But, you know, I'm reasonably good. Uh, and two would be guitar. I started playing guitar when I was around seven years old, something like that. And from right around that age, it was basically every day, all through school into college. And then it occurred to me that I probably need to earn a living, and it's going to be pretty hard as a guitar player. So uh, for whatever reason, I kind of burnt out, and then I switched to programming and went down that rabbit hole. And that was around, I don't know, I got a late start, 19, 20 years old, something like that. Um, But yeah, and it's only in the last few years that I have come back to guitar where I work on it. basically every day again. And you know, it's interesting practicing something as an adult versus a child or even a teenager. It's a completely different, at least for me, it's a completely different workflow. When I was young, it's not like I had some kind of routine. I just played a lot. And when you do that, you naturally get better. But it's not like I had systems in place where I do this for 15 minutes, then I practice these, then I do this. I just kind of did everything, you know? I, I, I noodled around, and if you do that long enough, you get better. Uh, but these days, I have more systems in place to help me um, improve that 1% or 2% every week. And it's funny, now that I think about it, um, it gets me mad that I didn't have somebody who pointed me in the right direction. I did have teachers, and I, I read plenty of, but I didn't have the internet back then, but I would buy books at Guitar Center that were way too expensive, things that are freely available these days, but I'd spend $40 on some kind of uh, tablature book, and I would work my way through that. But I sure do wish I had a guide who said, there is an ocean of things to learn right now. There's classical guitar, there's strumming, there's finger picking, there, there's arpeggios, there's right-hand pick work, there are chords and inversions of chords and scales and arpeggios. Um, and sometimes it feels a little overwhelming. And most of us just kind of pick up bits and pieces along the way. But yeah, I wish somebody had said, okay, these are all important things. But if you really want the most bang for your buck, focus heavily on this, this, and this. And I, I just sadly did not have that. And it's not anyone's responsibility but my own. But yeah, I wish I had a guide who would have said that to me. Because now as an adult, I can look back and I can see sort of the the bullet points in my learning where I made a big leap. And I wish I could just pass those bullet points on, on to somebody else. But who knows, maybe those bullet points or those aha moments are different for everybody. For me, and we're going to get a little jargony here, so if you're not familiar with it, just come along. But for me, I wish somebody had said, okay, you've learned the the minor pentatonic scale, which is what Pretty much all guitar players learn as soon as you move beyond basic chords. You've learned that. Now you're going to learn the cage system. You're going to take that shape you've learned. So if we're in the key of A, guitar players will know that shape is between the fifth fret and the eighth fret, right? Now that you've learned that, I want you to learn every variation of that. And this is part of the cage system. How can you play it here? How can you play it further up the neck? How you can play it further up the neck? And you're going to memorize that. And once you have that memorized, Make sure you can play that in every key. And then once you're comfortable with that, you're going to move on to triads. 
for whatever reason, when I was young, I, I had it stuck in my head that arpeggios and, and triads are things for jazz guitarists and classical guitarists, but not for me. Um, and I, I wish I could go back and hit myself on the back of the head because I did myself such a disservice. It turns out that those things are the bedrock that you need to know, especially when you, when you get into improvisation. Triads are like landmarks on the guitar that you can jump to. And as you start soloing, you can work those triads into your solo so that you're actually following the chord progression of the song rather than noodling over the, again, the minor pentatonic scale that you've learned. When you learn these triads, you can pretty easily follow the chord progression of the song. And again, those were things I thought, no, jazz guitarists do that. They need to know it, but everyone else doesn't need to know it. And it's simply not true. Or in other words, when I think about the point when I, I really started feeling like I understood the full shape of the guitar. And you know what it's like? It's sort of like uh, the Matrix when they're looking at the screen with all the green stuff, but they can see through the code and they can see a building here, woman in a red dress, you know, stuff like that. Guitar can almost feel that way, where once you learn all of these scales and your arpeggios and your triads, when you look at the guitar, you start to, um, and I don't know any other way to say it, it's like you start to see, you see all of these areas you can go to and again, learning your triads are the bedrock for that. Now, a triad, well, tri means three. So if I want a major triad for G, then I want the one, the three, and the five of a G chord, G, B, and D. So when I play a triad, I'm playing those three notes alone. I'm not strumming a big open G chord. I'm playing only the chord tones, one, three, five. And as it turns out, I can play a one, three, and five all over the neck. So then once you learn your triads and you start memorizing these shapes, because all guitar players would agree, learning guitar is learning shapes. Guitar players think in shapes because they repeat all across the neck for every single key. So if you learn it in one shape, then you can play it in any key. So anyways, my advice would then be, okay, once you've figured out triads, I want you to start playing common chord progressions that you hear in songs. You know, a, a blues one, four, five, or a one, six, two, five, one, start playing those. But instead of playing the long strummy chords that you originally learned, you're going to play the song only as triads. And once you learn that, you start realizing, oh my gosh, all I have to do is move a single finger. And I have now transitioned from the one to the, the three major or something like that. You start realizing these notes are completely connected. And the reason why going from this chord to that chord sounds really nice is because often it's the exact same notes other than moving one finger. And when you play those long strummy chords, you may not necessarily realize that, but when you switch to the triads, you do. So then I would say that. And then I would say, start creating games for yourself where you're gonna keep playing your one, four, five as a triad, but every time you play one of those triads, you have to do it in a different position. So maybe for your G triad, your one, you do it over here on the, uh, the third to the fifth fret. But next time you play it, you need to play it all the way up on the 12th fret. And then the next time you play it over on the eighth fret. Because again, you can play these triads everywhere on the guitar. And once you do that, again, it's like the matrix. It's like you start seeing all of these landmarks, all of these areas your hands can go. When a song moves to a new chord, you can instantly see where your fingers can go to line up with that chord. Anyways, we're getting pretty jargony here. For most of you, it's probably irrelevant. But my point is, 
I wish I could go back and give those bullet points to myself when I was young. So then I started thinking for programming, what would that look like? Because I don't feel quite as strongly about it. But still, if somebody said, can you give me some some bullet points? Uh, what might they be? And um, I'm going to go through that now. And I'm giving you my word. I have not really thought about this. For better or worse, I haven't created any notes. We're going to figure this out on the fly. The one thing, though, before I get to that point, the one thing I usually tell people um, is, is something more psychology-based. And it usually amounts to um, something approximating you're going to want to give up at some point here. You're going to feel overwhelmed by how much there is to learn. But just remember, all of us go through that phase. We all feel it. And if you can stick with it and you just keep taking a few steps every day, you will eventually get to the other side. And unfortunately, once you get to the other side, you're going to feel it all over again for every, um, for every level in your learning. But that is simply part of the system. That's maybe the first thing I would tell people because I felt that way when I was learning. Again, I didn't have tons of teachers. I didn't have somebody to guide me. All I had were an endless stream of books that were incredibly confusing. I remember picking up a JavaScript book way back in the day, and um, maybe I was 20 years old, something, something like that, 20, 21. In the first two chapters, I felt pretty good. And then the third chapter, it immediately jumped into loops, but not just loops, loops within loops. So I saw a lot of those examples like for i equals zero and i is less than 100. And then within there, for x equals zero and x is less than y, blah, 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 blah. And instantly, I, I could barely understand what a variable was. I could barely understand what a loop was. But then a loop within a loop, it just it didn't work for me. I couldn't figure out why we were doing any of this in the first place. So I very much have a memory of chapter three being the chapter where I closed the JavaScript book for a long time. And it's funny these days, because now I think, what didn't you understand about a loop? You're looping over something and you're performing an operation. But it's easy to forget there was a time when I didn't know what a div was or why you would ever reach for a div. There was a time when I couldn't grasp what a variable would be for. Why would you create a variable? You have the value here. Why are you saving it, quote unquote, to a variable? What what for? You know, it, it, it's it's sometimes hard to go back and remember how ignorant we all are at the beginning. Ignorant in a nice sense, meaning we just don't know, you know, not in a mean-spirited sense. But yeah, let, let's go through this together. Things I wish I had known or advice I would give to the next generation, um, the bullet points that I would want them to have. The psychology one we talked about is definitely on that list. Another one might be um, you don't need to learn it all. And what do you know? That's another psychology-based one. Maybe half of this is psychology, but I think that's another thing I would, I would tell myself. You don't need to learn it all. When you're first getting started, it does feel like an acronym avalanche. There's CSS and uh, OOP and DDD and a different kind of DDD. And, you know, I've given presentations where I've gone down the list of acronyms you feel like you have to learn. And as it turns out, in most cases, a handful of things will get you pretty far, and then you will slowly accrue new acronyms or understanding of certain acronyms as you need them. But initially, you sometimes feel like, I have to learn all of this before I can make a website. And that is simply not true. Or sometimes I would look at all of the tooling around us and think, do I have to learn all of this? There's a, a dozen different JavaScript frameworks, and it's going to be a whole different dozen, you know, five years from now. Do I have to learn all of them? 
And you know, at the beginning, there was that mantra of like, use the right tool for the job. And does that mean I use this JavaScript framework for this job and this JavaScript framework for that? I mean, who has time to learn the APIs alone? But if I want to be a good programmer, I need to use the right tool for the job. And I'm going to use Laravel in this case and then Rails in that case or, or Symfony. Yeah, I wish somebody had said, okay, those people need to settle down a little bit. It is true, use the right tool for the job, but that certainly does not mean you need to be learning different backend frameworks left and right. If you want to use me as an example, I am very comfortable with Laravel. I learned uh, CodeIgniter many, many years ago. I'm, I was, at least at the time, reasonably comfortable with uh, Ruby frameworks like Sinatra. I used Rails a little bit. But if I'm starting a new, typical, traditional web application, I'm using Laravel. And that doesn't mean you're not using the right tool for the job. It just means what you are most comfortable with is a big piece of the puzzle. And expecting somebody to completely start over and learn Python if what you already are comfortable with will do the job nicely, then I think that's silly. But yeah, of course, if, if you're working on uh, certain things where Python is clearly the correct choice, then of course, we, we all understand that. But when you're learning, sometimes it can feel like you need to learn everything so that you have all the tools that you can pick from the next time a job comes up. And uh, that can be a little daunting, I think. Let's see what else. Let's see if we can get a little code heavy. Um, I did feel the pressure of solid and design patterns. This is sort of a, an intermediate phase that I think just about all developers go through. You want to move on to the next step and get into the hard stuff where I kind of wish I had told myself, you need to be focusing on the fundamentals because you think you're done with the fundamentals and you're ready to move on. You are not done with the fundamentals. You know, uh, how long ago, 15, 14 years ago, I thought I understood object-oriented programming. You know, I'd spent six months to a year with it, and I felt like, okay, I got this. You know, I'm so incredibly arrogant at the time. I thought I, I thought I had that one down, and it turns out all these years later, I'm still working on it. I'm still trying to figure it out. But you know, that's the the arrogance and the naivete of of youth. But yeah, I wish I had pushed fundamentals more on myself at the time. It's not that design patterns aren't useful. It's not that solid isn't useful. I think these are all things to work on. But it's also useful to keep in mind that often many of these systems are put in place to, to deal with very large projects maintained by very large teams. And often, more often than not probably, those solutions are not necessarily intended for what you are currently working on. And yet you'll feel the pressure to apply them because emulation is what we do. It's how we get better. And if Facebook is doing it, then maybe I should be doing it for um, Jeffrey's invoicing app that has, you know, 10 customers. I wish I had told myself that. But you know what? I'm not sure it would have made a difference because it doesn't change the fact that there's still things I needed to start learning about. Um, and, and sometimes taking something too far, applying something where it does not need to be applied, it is simply a part of the learning. And as for design patterns, of course, design patterns... Uh, are, are wonderful things. They are common solutions to common problems. Uh, and yet, I think when you are at that intermediate stage, you're still pretty ignorant. You're reading each of these patterns without having many use cases and examples from your own projects for where they might apply. So I sometimes wonder how useful they are, again, at that stage of your learning. Of course, these things are always most likely to stick when you experience them on your own. So if design patterns are, are common solutions to traps that people fall in, then the best way you can learn that is to fall in the trap on your own. And then you can say, okay, now I get it. I fell into this trap, and if I had done this, I would have um, 
patched up the floor or something. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have to worry about that anymore. That is when we can really grasp these things. But otherwise, if you're just learning, here's a, a factory pattern, here's a, a decorator, and you don't actually have any of your own examples for why you would use a decorator, how useful is that really? Versus, again, doubling down on the fundamentals of programming or the basics that you think you picked up in the first couple of years. Double down on that stuff would be my advice. And then the final bullet points might be um, everyone has an opinion and everyone is more than happy to share it with you. And this can be tough because you can be on your own path and then all it takes is one person on Twitter telling you you are doing it wrong. And if you want to do it, quote, the right way, then you need to be doing this. And suddenly you go down that rabbit hole where you completely change everything up to satisfy the opinions of probably a stranger you will never meet. And it's not to say they don't have the best of intentions. It's just to say that we all have opinions. We all have our own experiences that led us to prefer this style of programming versus this. Whether we want more freedom here or more protection there, it's all based upon who you learned from, where you worked, the size of the applications you work on, um, and, and anything and everything in between. They all shape the way we think about code, not to mention our own personalities. I don't think it's a coincidence that I am more attracted to dynamic languages that offer all sorts of freedom for the end user. And I don't know why sometimes it rubs me the wrong way when developers with the best of intentions will limit me from being able to do things that I want to do uh, with the code base. But you know what? They will have their own reasoning for why it's necessary to do that. And then I will have my own reasoning. So this is what I mean. Everyone has opinions. And if you want, you can go down that rabbit hole opinion, or you can stick to your own path and just keep chipping away at it. And if you are going down the wrong path, then trust me, you will fall into a trap and you will course correct. And if you don't, then maybe you're on the right path to begin with. And then I think my final bullet point might be a nudge and a reminder that it needs to read well. The code you write needs to read well. It's not enough that you've perfectly created these abstractions and the dependencies and all the lines are pointed in the right way. If the code is horrible to use, it's not good. If it feels horrible to use, if the API is confusing and it requires constant trips to the documentation, it's not good. And it doesn't matter if every dependency is declared and unit tested and all of that. It's not good if it doesn't read well. Because if nobody wants to use your APIs, then is it actually good? Or in other words, does the, the purity and the cleanliness of the code determine whether it's good? Or does people actually using it determine that it's good? I think a really good example of this, by the way, is Laravel's HTTP component or service, whatever you want to call it. If I need to make a post request to some third-party API, um, I need to include a token along with it, you know, and get the results as JSON. In Laravel, and with that component, I can do it in a single line. And you know what? I never have to return to the documentation to figure out the, the pure way that I'm supposed to structure things and grab it and pull out the JSON. I write a single line of code that I could guess. Even if I didn't know what the documentation said, I could probably guess what it is. And that's when you know you're onto something. Because if it doesn't read well, it's probably not good. That would be my final bullet point. Okay, we went on way too long. As always, Laircast Snippet, my name is Jeffrey Way. I'll see you next time. <laughs>